Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Cambridge Update, recorded on September 2nd, 2020. My name is Sonia Mahadio, and today I'll be sitting down with Greg Dean, Principal and Portfolio Manager at Cambridge Global Asset Management. This is the second and final part of the series on the Cambridge Peer Canadian Equity Fund. Hi, Greg. Thanks again for joining me. So, you know, in our last podcast, you gave a pretty good picture on the details of the fund. Today, I want to switch focus and and really talk about the small cap industry in Canada. Um, more recently, we've had a lot of news where it's been the global large cap outperformance, and now it finally seems that small cap is starting to get some love. So could you touch on how to invest in small cap in Canada? Um, what are the challenges and the opportunities of investing in a small cap company in Canada versus global? Yeah, so I definitely think that there's there's a lack of breadth and depth in the Canadian market, which the number one, and we've done this for years, the number one variable there is just, you know, managing capacity. And so, you know, you've seen us cap funds, you've seen us, um, you know, merge funds to make sure that we're protecting the clients that we have and making sure that, that they're, uh, they're optimally positioned to, to benefit and harvest, uh, you know, the the opportunities that we find over time. And, and I can tell you, I'm the largest client in, in the Canadian small cap fund. So, you know, it's not that hard to think about things from a client perspective because, you know, myself personally, my family, you know, extended family are, are all very large clients. So um, they're, we're looking for one thing when it comes to small caps. This goes for, you know, Poland, Canada, um, Australia, any developed country. We're looking for companies that are taking market share. We're looking for businesses that are growing for reasons that we can understand in end markets that we can understand and where we have reasonable confidence in predicting future market share gains. And those break down into what we call inorganic or organic. Some companies are taking market share organically, just, you know, the business that they've, that they're selling or the services they're providing, they're able to offer them to more and more, you know, clients and customers every day. Sometimes companies are in a, a different industry where the industry is not really growing and they're not taking market share organically, but they're able to use their balance sheet and their capital allocation frameworks to make acquisitions. So, um, you know, a good example in uh, in Canada of an organically growing company would be Great Canadian. You know, they've been award. They were uh, we've owned this business for many many years, and they were you know, a regional casino operator with, you know, the vast majority of their business focused in BC. And then Ontario decided to privatize, privatize their, their, um, casinos and facilities. And, and Great Canadian was awarded the vast majority in, of, of the most profitable and best opportunities, uh, through that privatization process. And so because they don't have eight turns of debt, like a lot of the regional operators in the U S and because they earn very high returns on invested capital, they were able to, um, you know, acquire these bundles from the Canadian or the Ontario government without issuing shares. In fact, they've been aggressively repurchasing shares. If it wasn't for COVID, probably would have repurchased, you know, a quarter of the company this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's a really interesting opportunity where, you know, they're they're um, when they open these facilities, they're going to be taking share organically. But the ability to acquire the facilities was driven by their um, their ability to inorganically take market share, and they'll be the, the by far the largest provider and uh, beneficiary of, of gaming in Ontario when when gaming in Ontario resumes. 
And so, um, you know, you can, you contrast that with the Dollarama isn't making acquisitions, but they're just organically taking share by opening up new stores, finding more customers, offering them more value, offering higher price points. So that's a business that we've owned in the fund for a long, long time as well. And in fact, we're, we're actually selling it um, because it's, it's too big. Sixteen billion dollars, and, and you know our goal is to find great ideas between five hundred million and ten billion. Mm-hmm. But um, we we do it a number of ways. What I think is, like I said, beyond just the market share gains, that I think is consistent is very few companies that we own in the fund are one hundred percent focused on Canada. Yeah. So there's there's a bit of a seamless uh, seamlessness to it because any company that's only going to win in Canada isn't going to become a very large company. Even the Canadian banks, which are very large companies, or Brookfield, which is a very large company, or Kuchart, which is a very large company. These are global companies. Mm -hmm. Whether it's Latin America, if it's Scotiabank, or the U.S., if it's TD or Royal, um, very, very few of them are domestic champions uh, exclusively. And so when we're looking for businesses that will win, we're looking for proven business models, proven management teams that have, you know, dominant share in, in the markets that they operate in, but with the potential to replicate that success in new markets over time. Well said, Greg. So another question for you. Are there any sectors or businesses that you think are better positioned to withstand the storm if we do experience a second wave of COVID um, and we experience subsequent market volatility within investments as it relates to the Canadian small cap market? Um, or maybe put in a different way, are there any companies that you're moving towards or staying away from? Well, yeah, I touched on resources and, and energy, so that's just not an area of focus. Um, they're just not good enough companies to warrant, uh, to offset the, uh, or I guess there's no valuation in my mind that can that can offset the um, the lack of quality, you know, in, in, in those businesses. And um, I shouldn't say no valuation, but they're just not trading at valuations today that, that offset the, the lack of quality and there's enough other you know COVID and the volatility we've seen and I I, I, I hope you're right that we're through it but I, I'm not I'm not of that view we're, we're we're coming in you know every day assuming a worst case and planning for that and then you know hoping it's better but um, I think the fund is the most resilient it's ever been whether you look at um, you know business model quality uh, the balance sheets that we own, I think that's going to be the biggest protection from any future uncertainty. If you have uncertainty and high leverage, you can have some real big problems. And so an example would just be, you know, the REITs, whether they're commercial REITs um, or, uh, you know, residential REITs, uh, pretty much anything but industrial uh, is challenged at the moment. People aren't sure about where rents are going. People aren't sure about uh, occupancy and density. And mm-hmm. everyone had these big development pipelines because that was what was driving um, AFFO growth. And now those development pipelines aren't cash flowing and there's a lot of leverage. And so it's an area we're watching because we think there could be some great opportunities. And we've got some calls lined up with people that we think have navigated previous cycles well. We have a call set up next week with um, um, Allied's CEO and chairman, Michael Emery. Um, You know, we've had calls through this period with other, we think, really um, capable uh, management teams in the real estate space, but it's it's one that we're just watching. I think the best thing that clients can do is is you know number one obviously is is not get too excited in good times and not get too down in bad times, but make sure that they're not asking too much of the companies they own, whether it's through paying too much or expecting them to grow too much. 
and make sure that they're focused on good balance sheets. So I think that's that's the biggest risk that we believe we've taken off the table to the extent that we can. It's just we're not going to be in a situation where we're not in control. The companies we own aren't in control of of their futures due to lenders or balance sheets or any of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. Well said, Greg. So I think that's all the time we have today. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. And Greg, thanks so much for joining me again. Anytime. I, I look forward to these. This podcast is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice, or construed as an endorsement or recommendation of any entity or security discussed. Investors should seek the advice of professionals prior to implementing any changes to their investment. Certain statements in this podcast are forward-looking that are predictive in nature, depend upon, or refer to future events or conditions. Forward-looking statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth. Although the forward-looking statements contained herein are based upon what CI Global Asset Management and the Portfolio Manager believe to be reasonable assumptions, neither CI Global Asset Management nor the Portfolio Manager can assure that actual results will be consistent with these forward-looking statements. Certain statements contained in this podcast are based in whole or in part on information provided by third parties, and CI Global Asset Management has taken reasonable steps to ensure their accuracy. Market conditions may change, which may impact the information contained in this podcast. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compounded total returns, net of fees and expenses, payable by the fund, including changes in security value and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions, and do not take into account sales, redemption, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.